welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Would you all reach over to the one next to you and pat their back? You deserve a pat on the back. Really, if you think about it, okay, if, if, you, if you were to, to stand here and look and you see all your beautiful faces and you see all these amazing couples and marriages and you think that's all you see, think again, because there's generations in this room and there's a multitude on the other side of you taking the time to come tonight to open your heart and to receive and like pastor said, something that God will do. We love your pastors. We love your church already. I've never been here, but I love your church. I hear about it all the time. Lindsay's kind of crazy about it. Lindsay is really like one of our relatives. She is my children's aunt and uh, the great aunt to the grandchildren. We all adore Lindsay. And you're very blessed to have this girl, I'll tell you. (laughs) But I am beyond thrilled that she has you because you have been such a huge part of her life and I get to hear about you all the time so whether you know it or not I feel like we're family already I get all the details all the good lovely details and uh, she loves you so we want to start just by telling you a little bit of our story you know we get to do this a lot and people often ask you how do you how do you ever get to that place that you know, you get to teach on relationships, marriage, and all that. And, and typically, the answer is that God takes your mess and makes it your message. You know, so whatever you're going through, keep going. Because yeah. there's a lot of people on the other side of it. But that's really what's, what's a picture of our life. So John and I have been married for 37 years. And uh, I have liked him most of them. <laughs> More towards the latter end. (laughs) No, no, no. But, you know, we walked down the aisle like most people do, dreaming of an amazing future. I was the ripe old age of 18, so I was really smart. Had a lot of energy, but no brains. But I sure liked John Burns. (laughs) But I sure liked him. And so we got married. He was 21, and I was 18. And right after we got married, he was accepted into dental school. And for the next four years, he did dental school. And, and right at that, during that time while he was in school, we had two little girls. They were, our first daughter was born within the first 10 and a half months of marriage. So there you go. I was 19, and I still had a lot of energy and no brains. But, but uh, here I was now a mother. 14 months later, Danica came along. So now we had two little girls. And just at the time that John was graduating, I was pregnant with our third daughter, Ashley. And uh, everything in the outside looked perfect. We looked like the perfect couple. Look, their life looks together. He's a newly minted doctor. Everything looked great. And yet, um, though we grew up in homes where our families loved each other, very, very different backgrounds, both John and mine, we just went into marriage thinking, we know what we're doing. We love each other, and that's enough. And sadly, we found ourselves at the four-year mark 
where now John was moving up to northern British Columbia to open his brand new dental practice. We had built a brand new home, and like I said, everything looked perfect. But I decided not to move up with him. I decided to stay home because everything in my life was broken. All of the dreams that I'd had about being an amazing wife, about being a great mother, and being a strong Christian woman, all of them were not happening. Our marriage was broken. I was far from God. I had grown up in church all of my life. I had never would have imagined that I would have ever walked away from that intimate relationship with God, and yet I found myself quite backslidden. And so everything in my life that mattered seemed like a failure. Failure in marriage, failure as a Christian, failure as a mother, and very, very brokenhearted. And now John had moved up north to start this new life, and I stayed home. And one night, I never tire of sharing this story, and I'll share it again just to give you hope, because it doesn't matter how you start, it matters how you finish. And you might have a lot of challenges today that seem insurmountable, and that's what I felt like. It seemed easier to quit than to push through the hard places. But one night in a very desperate place, I bowed my knee before God. I had tucked our two little girls into bed, looked at my big pregnant stomach and thought, what am I doing? And I felt the whisper of heaven say, this is not the life that I planned for you, Helen. This isn't it. And so I walked into my bedroom, and I bowed my knees, and I went to God, and I said, I'm sorry. And God, from this day forward, I want to live my life for you if you'll just show me how. And so that was the mark of a brand new journey. John was still 350 miles away, totally oblivious to what was going on in my life. But I began to pray, and I began to open my Bible like a starved woman, and I began to discover in the Bible the beauty of the truth of who I was. I found out who I was by devouring the scripture, and lo and behold, in that scripture, I also discovered who John was. And I began to see him differently. There was something that was changing in my heart and my dream and my vision. And that was beginning now to play out in our relationship. So now when I would phone him, I talked different. And, and he knew what's going on with my wife. And it wasn't long. And I was moved up to northern British Columbia. We got into a great church and we began all over again. But began on a solid foundation. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. It says, through skillful and godly wisdom is a life, a home, and a family built. And through understanding, it is established on a good and a sound foundation. And so we determined, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so God began to rebuild our marriage, which was very fragmented and very broken. It wasn't because of infidelity or because of abuse. It was simply through neglect and not understanding. And so we have endeavored in our life and in our marriage to say we're never going back there again. By the grace of God, we will keep moving forward and building on the truth of God's word, allowing God's grace and God's mercy to be the rule in our lives and in our marriage. And I look today at 37 years of marriage, and I can't believe how good it is that I can actually be more in love than I've ever been. I dream more of the future than I can ever imagine. I look at the the effect of making that choice 30-some years ago, 33 years ago, I look at that one decision that turned everything around. I look at at children walking forward in the purposes of God. I look at my grandchildren walking forth in the purposes of God. I think about the church that has been planted in our city and, and, and the influence we've been able to have, not because we're anything, but because of the amazing grace of God in our lives. So tonight, one choice can take you the distance that you need to go. So whatever it is that God's speaking to you, open up your heart and say, God, I'm in. I don't want to stay where I am. Thank God for where I am, but I want to go forward in you. And every one of us can. It matters. Yeah, 
as, as Helen mentioned, it wasn't infidelity or something, you know, t horrible that either of us did. It was us not understanding. And I think God designed it so that you have to do the work. You can't find the perfect person. There's no such thing. And if you do, it's still a messed up you know, relationship because you're there. <laughs> I think God actually designed it so that we have to figure out. We've got to do the work to understand this person. So what we'd like to do for tonight is just give you four, big four. This is our big four, okay? If you're to, you know, break it down to some, some points that really make a difference in marriage, it, these are the ones that, 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 that we would, you know, come with. We're actually going to teach through the weekend a different message every service. So tomorrow night, two different messages. Sunday morning, two different messages. And uh, I just encourage you, you know, if you can make it to more than one or, or online or something, but it's, it, you're, you're not going to get it without doing the work. God actually planned it that way. I, I, I think actually he made it so different, you know, and, and, and then he, he, he looked from heaven and just had a good laugh. Okay, figure it out. <laughs> and and it, 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 it really, it takes a lot of work and a lot of communication. So let me help you with a few things. Number one, you know what really determines whether we're happy in life or not? Our expectations. And our expectations are very different because of the way we are created. Have you noticed there's a difference between male and female? And I'm not just talking about the plumbing, okay? Majorly up here, the way we think, and the expectations that we have. Every disappointment in life is a result of unmet expectations. And typically, we go through life and think that we understand. We know. We, you know, we know what they want. Why? Because they're just like us. But have you noticed in marriage, opposites attract? Absolutely, opposites attract. And the reason that opposites attract is that God created Adam and then said, not good. Why? Because you're alone. I didn't create you to be alone. You, you, you haven't even been, been, been finished because we were created in his image, which is plural. So he said, I'm going to fix the problem. And he put him to sleep and took something out. From that moment on, Adam was missing something. And from that moment on, Adam started looking for what was missing. And God packaged what was missing in a, a snowman. Hula <laughs> la is the way I'd rather say it than a snowman. And so every one of us are looking for what's missing. We're not looking for somebody that's got what we got. We're looking for somebody that, that doesn't. And, and opposites attract. So from that point alone, our expectations are so different. And if we don't do the work to find out what those expectations are, how in the world are we going to meet them? And yet that's our job, to meet those expectations. Every one of us has needs, and we need to actually do the work to meet those needs. I believe that life in that more abundantly, what Jesus came to give us, was a life full of expectations, really. He said, you've got to be like a little child. Have you ever looked at a little child like a four-year-old? Ask a four-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? And their eyes light up, sparks start flying, and they go for the stars, right? They're going to be the best. And then it's sad how often as you grow older, 
the, the sparks get less and less and less till finally, you know, I'm just going to make a mortgage, you know, one day and get a job one day and, you know. And that's kind of what it is with marriage. When, when, when a couple walks down the aisle to get married, their eyes are sparkling. They're full of dreams, full of expectations. You know, we actually fall in love with each other's dreams. Really, you fell in love with what you saw could be. And every woman in here, you fell in love with the greatness you saw in that man. And guys, your greatest treasure is her. Because she can see you way beyond where you're at right now. And what happens, though, so often is through life, we don't meet, we don't have those expectations met. And we get disappointed. And we get disappointed. And then we don't deal with it. And it hurts. And there's pain. And we do anything, anything not to have pain, right? So what do we do? the problem expectations okay this is the answer let's get rid of them no more expectations I don't expect you to say I love you I don't expect you to pick up your dirty laundry I don't expect you to do anything ten years down the road you see the same couple and there's no more stars there's no more bright eyes there's no more dreams it's just we're making it we're just hanging in there the key is to understand the importance of expectations. Everybody's got them, and you need to have them. And you need to get more of them. Life should just get better. And once you start meeting, understanding each other's expectations and meeting them, it just get better and better and better. And like Helen said, now 37 years married, we're dreaming bigger dreams than we've ever dreamed, really. And it's not just about us, it's about generations. That's the way life should be. We should show the world that we've got something. The world should look at us and go, what is it that's different about you guys? And it starts with this relationship with God, but it translates into how we can believe and, and, and have relationship with each other. And expectations is a huge key to that. First of all, most people don't even know what their own expectations are. If I ask people to sit down and give me a list of what your expectations are, you, you know, you're, most people are stumped. You've got to do the work. If you were coming to me and saying, as, you know, would you officiate a wedding? I want to get married to so-and-so. And I'd say, sure, but first of all, we're going to do some counseling. And then I'd sit you down, and the first thing I'd give you is homework. Go and write out an exhaustive list of expectations, each of you. And don't discuss. Bring them back to me. And then we sit together and go through them, and it's amazing. You will find a number of those expectations, exactly what I thought. Good. number of them, total surprise, but I can do that. And some of them, total surprise, and there's no way. You have to adjust those. But until you actually do the work of understanding what are the, what are the expectations, and when, when you go on a date, like hopefully tonight, you should always be dreaming. If you were to be one of those couples where 10 years down the road you lost that loving feeling, what would you do? My advice would be you need to go away and dream. Dream again. And as you dream again, you reignite those expectations. And I really believe every healthy relationship has expectations, is meeting their expectations, and dealing with, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, dealing with the disappointments that will come. If you have expectations, I promise you, you will be disappointed. But the marriages that make it, the greatest determining factor 
is how you deal with that disappointment. How do you deal with when things aren't going great? And that brings us to the next key, which is communication. I want to say something when John's talking about expectations, like making it practical. We came from very different households, two families. My, our parents, uh, my father's passed away and his mother passed away, but stayed married for 50-some years, loved each other. Very different households. I grew up in a home with a lot of expressed ex affection. I would have heard most days of my life, I love you, Helen, or you look beautiful today and have a great day. Lots of affection, hugs, and kisses. So that was my expectation walking into marriage. That's what it looks like. John will tell me every day he loves me. Every day he'll tell me how things that I need to hear. I just expected that. John grew up in a home where he was very loved, but really, literally never heard one time in his entire life, um, growing up life, that he, that he was loved, even though it was understood. So for him, hearing me say, why don't you ever say you love me? He thought I was being ridiculous. He thought, what woman needs to hear I love you every day? And he looked at me and said, you must be the most insecure woman in the world to have to hear I love you every day. He was genuinely shocked that that was an expectation. I told her, I told you I loved you when I married you. If I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. Yes, he did. That's exactly what he said. Didn't go over very well. <laughs> but you know, when you come back together and then you begin to realize, well, what are your expectations? What would you like? Well, and then when you actually take accountability for what your expectations are, that's so critical. Things like helping around the house, things like having children, things like how we raise the children. There were so many things John and I learned to negotiate and talk through. All of it became a building block. Rather than tearing us apart, when you can express them honestly, now you have something to build from. Because if you think he knows what you want, he doesn't. He just doesn't. He wants to, but he doesn't. I know he's stressing. It's going to be Valentine's next week. And he's like, help me, Jesus. I don't want her to be disappointed. And you have expectations. You don't have to say exactly, but be clear about what some of your expectations are. I think that often we just think they should know. I used to think as he should know. He should know. And if he doesn't know, I'm not telling him. Well, that was stupid because it didn't get me to where I wanted to go. Aren't you glad we talk more now? <laughs> communication is absolutely critical. And uh, do you want to talk about having clear communication and then I'll go on from there? Oh, I just remember so many times in yeah. our early years. I'm sorry. I've said I'm sorry a thousand <laughs> times. My favorite words, honey, we need to talk. Oh, no. <laughs> what did I do this time? Well, what didn't I do this time? There's so many things we don't know about each other. And instead of letting it beat us up, you know, preventatively get ahead of it and learn how to, to discuss those things. But let me talk about, okay, what happens when you hit the disappointment? And we're really good at that. I mean, we become pros at this one where we're dealing with, with, with disappointment. And usually it's her talking to me. And so it'll start out with like this. We need to talk about that. Um, but I'm so glad we learned some things over the years. And if I give you like seven little principles how to deal with disappointment real fast, number one is respect. Actually, respect is to value the person more than the issue. 
Some of us got the issue burning on the inside. No, stop. Count to 10. Recognize that person's valuable and, and then respect them. And so what she would say is, John, I'd like to talk to you about something. Is this a good time? I know what's coming. I am not looking forward to it. Nobody's looking forward to dealing with, you know, a disappointment, a, you know, a confrontation. But typically I'd, I'd say, sure, okay. Or, no, no, it's not a good time. I have a tough day. And if I say no, the next question is, when would be a good time? And I'm not allowed to say 2020. <laughs> you know, you actually come up with a date. Second key is safety actually need to make this a safe place to talk about this issue. And sometimes we feel like we can't go there because everything will be busted. It'll never, we'll, we'll never make this work, you know. So, so you're afraid and fear will stop you from dealing with something that can actually take you to a better level in your relationship. In our marriage, until we start to learn to communicate like this, I think our marriage might have been going on about this level. And then we began to communicate like this and it's like turbocharged. Makes such a difference. The way we would do safety is Helen would say this to me, honey, you know that I love you. You know that I love our marriage. I'm so glad how far we've come. And I think if we talk about this one thing, it'll even be better. It's, she's, it's like she's provided a safety net that I'm not afraid to go there because everything's going okay. It's just so valuable. Number three is facts. Don't state the hearsay in, in what everybody else is doing. Talk about the facts, okay? The other day when you did this and you said this and you said this, okay? So it's facts. Nobody's going to argue with facts. And that comes to the next one, so important. Judging. Do not judge. Never judge. This is the worst thing in relationships. You know what it's called? A pointed finger. When that finger gets pointed at you, the wall goes up a mile high. And you just broke intimacy. Intimacy, I know it's corny, but it works. It means into me see. So I don't want you to see, so I put the wall up. And that's because you feel judged. You can state facts, but never judge people's motives. So stay away from that. And then number five is ask for help. Ask for, help is a magical word, really, when it comes to relationships. Honey, could you help me understand? Could you help me you know, just make sense of this. And so what happens when you say help is this is the way I picture it. If, if this was, can you back up a little bit over there, honey? Okay, if this was a fighting ring, she's on one side, I'm on the other, and we're fighting. Until she says help. When she says help, I walk over to this side, I put my arms around her, and it's the two of us against the issue. That's the key. Yeah. Where we can stop being against each other and be against trying to understand what this issue is, whether it's, it's the way you were raised and the way you parent and the way you need to change the way you do things. You know, there's all kinds of things that come up over the years. And number six is give an answer. Answer. Don't ever come to me with a problem if you haven't first thought through and come up with an answer. So important. So if you're going to, to deal with the disappointment, okay, sit back, let the, let the emotions, you know, die down, and then come at it with respect. Put that safety net out. Talk about what the facts are. Don't 
Don't point at finger. Ask for some help and then say, you know, I've thought about this and I think if this happened again, why don't you try this? And that answer means that she's actually talked time, you know, prayed about it. And the last thing, number seven, is the takeaway. One word, thank you. That's it. You know how when someone comes at you with, with, with something you want to rebuttal? That's a fool. Read your book of Proverbs. Read the Bible. A, a wise person does not defend themselves. You can chew, and, you know, the hay and spit out, you know, the stubble, whatever, but you need to walk away with thank you and think about it. And I'm, I'm just... I'm telling you, it, it's probably, it doesn't sound like a very interesting, you know, thing to teach, but probably the, the most nuts and bolts important message I could teach married couples. How do you deal with disappointment? Because it will happen. Another one that's one of our most important things, and I think as we've gotten older, this has become more and more important to us, and I use the term emotional intimacy. Sometimes we feel like, yeah, we're close. We had sex last night. That doesn't mean you're close. It's good. But that doesn't mean it's, really it's that felt closeness. <laughs> That's the last point. We'll get there. <laughs> but I think it's really important to assess where you're at. Often we can live in a culture and create a culture within our home, even with our children, that we may all live in the same home, but there's not that emotional closeness. It's a felt closeness. It's, it's a word that I think of that John just talked about. It is that sense of safety. Um, I love the word home. And it's not just a sense of coming into my house and it's familiar to me. The church is home to me. Where I live is home to me. But John is home to me. My family is home to me. It's a place where I love to come and I feel close. I feel accepted. I feel loved. I feel celebrated. And do you have that amongst each other? And you might go, oh, that's just not me. It's not how we do it. I want to challenge you to really look at the culture that you create within not just your marriage, but in the home environment. Because often we prefer how we've done it in the past to what the kingdom of God looks like. And I believe that kingdom culture, God culture, always trumps what feels familiar and maybe even comfortable to us. I believe we can go so much further in having a closeness and an intimacy in our relationship. And I know what it feels like when there's a wall where there is this, where I kind of stiff arm, arm John, where there's something saying, I'm hurting right now, I don't want you close. We do that when something's going on in our own life. We want to deflect it and defer it onto someone else. But usually it's something in our own life. And I believe we need to get very skilled at being able to read and to assess how we're doing. Is there a felt intimacy and closeness in our marriage? And I believe that's one of the bravest questions you can ask each other. To actually say, I want to know your answer. And it's not a right and wrong answer. It's, just in a, it's actually locating yourself. And one of you may have waited for the moment to say, you know what, I know it can be better. You don't have, it doesn't have to be terrible, but it can be better. But I believe it's something that we need to keep coming back to and, and asking that question. You know that song, I've lost that loving feeling. Whoa, 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 that loving feeling and I can't go on. And, you know, a lot of people feel like we've lost it and we can't find it again. It's about how we do invest and make doing the work to stay connected close. And usually a disconnect in that emotional closeness, it's rarely something big. 
It's often just the little things that we don't pay attention to that come in and steal. We get too busy. We get distracted. The iPhone's out all the time. <clears throat> or, um, <laughs> or we haven't, you know, you might feel like... Did you feel, feel like, that jab? Yeah. Ow. No, no. It's just a familiar one. It's just familiar. I think a lot of people relate to it. Whatever it may be, but let's talk about it, not with judgment again, but with honesty. And so often we look at other, other relationships and we think they have it. It just looks, other relationships look fantastic. What's our problem? And you know, often we think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, but I know the grass is always green where someone takes care of it, where you nurture it, where you invest, where you're willing to weed and to do the hard work. Out of that, beautiful relationships grow. And I believe this is one of the core elements of the health of our relationship, not just with each other, but with, with our children, our grandchildren, the staff we lead. I want to feel close. Not just say we're close, I want to feel it. And it's important to me. And so what causes an emotional disconnect? And the most, the most common thing is we just stop investing. We often think, what's the point? I tried that. It didn't get the response, maybe coming back to disappointments. And so we stop investing. We begin to make more withdrawals than we make deposits. And every healthy relationship has to have a lot more deposits than withdrawals. And so ask yourself, how am I doing in the investing department? And if you feel like, hey, I'm the only one that's investing, I believed that in the early years of our marriage, but it was, I wasn't right. I thought it was, I was doing all the work and John was doing nothing. That wasn't the truth. But if I began to believe it, I went somewhere that made me stop investing to the point of I was ready to give up completely on our marriage. How is your investing going? Take a look at that. Another one, that one of the greatest things that disconnects, it's so simple but it can't be said enough, is we harbor unforgiveness. You cannot build where unforgiveness is there. And so often where there's unforgiveness, what we do is we sh shut off our heart. And even where people are trying to get close to us, we have this barrier around us no one can penetrate. And if there are areas of unforgiveness, the Bible is so clear about not allowing unforgiveness. The Bible's very clear about don't let the sun go down, not even one day without forgiving. So clear about it. And I believe that's one of the keys. Cold marriages happen because we got hurt and then we stayed hurt. And a little hurt, that, a bruise that could have easily been remedied now has gone into a full-blown infection and, and it's gone on and on until our heart is very, very hard. So unforgiveness is never an option in any relationship. Get it out of your heart. Get it out of your life as soon as possible. Another way we... we Here's Marilyn's example for that. Oh, Marilyn Skinner, who I know that you guys would have heard of from Watoto. Um, but uh, she talks about... I heard her t teaching a bunch of beautiful little African children. And she was talking about unforgiveness, and I'll never forget it. They all knew the answer. They said... Uh, th she asked the question, if a snake comes and bites you, what do you do right away, children? And they said, get the poison out. You don't go chase the snake, you get the poison out. And so often what we do when we're mad at someone and feel unforgiveness to her, we want to chase down that snake and we want to take care of business. And God's saying, take care of yourself. Pay attention to your own heart. Good. And when you pay attention to your own heart, just a core scripture in my life is found in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. It says, pay attention to your heart because it affects everything you do. And if your heart's not healthy, if my heart has got unforgiveness and it's got disappointment and it's got hurt on the inside of it, I cannot emotionally connect with John. And if you think 
that an emotional disconnect between you and your spouse is not affecting everyone around you, you're very deceived. I think you already know that it, it does. It's, we think, well, I'm in a, a funk. It's my funk. It's not affecting any, everybody or anybody. Yeah, it is. Mm. If mama ain't happy, ain't, ain't nobody, nobody happy. happy. That's Bible, isn't it, Rob? <laughs> it's in Proverbs somewhere, I'm sure, right? <laughs> and I'm just speaking for the women. I'm sure there's a counterpart to that. But in a healthy, connected relationship, we want to, another thing is not just unforgiveness, we want to be kind. I know this sounds so basic, but you know what? It's honoring. Being kind. Just kindness. Can I tell you, kindness opens every heart. Mm. You can have the grumpiest waitress in the world and just be kind and something changes. It can melt a stone-cold heart. And I believe that we're, when we're unselfish and when we're kind, kindness will always rule. And so there have been times in my life in our relationship, the last thing I wanted to do was to be kind. I wanted to have judgment. I wanted to have anger. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, don't do it. Don't do it. Try kindness. Because kindness will melt the most indifferent, hardest, walled off heart. And we've gotten good at that. And John is amazing at doing that. But it, sometimes it just starts in small ways. But just choose kindness over judgment. If you, you're used to going to, well, that just makes me mad, try kindness. And it will keep you emotionally connected. Your actions, your words, your expressions. And um, we've already um, addressed this, but just never be afraid to talk about hard things. Mm-hmm. You stay close by talking about things that sometimes are so hard to talk about. And I've had to, I, I'll just say this, that I believe I'm married today because I knew how to fight that I was not going to allow a wall to stay there. When God got a hold of my heart, he showed me how to fight for my marriage. And it wasn't just, you know, I had to speak up and say, it's not okay that we're not talking. I know this is hard. John was a stutterer. He's more of a loner. He would be, that's his personality. And I would, I freaked him out how often I wanted to talk. But there was a day I just said, I love you. We need to talk about this. And it took time to reconnect emotionally. But, but through kindness and through believing in him and through honoring him and through respect, that door opened. And now I think he's a way better communicator than I am, but I think it's because we worked on each other, we saw something in each other, and we refused to give up. We pushed through the hard places. Don't be afraid to talk about the hard stuff. It needs to be talked about. And at the end of it, you'll feel that much closer for it. Which brings me to the third Um, key I want to talk about, which is trust. And trust is so misunderstood and so important. The strength of every relationship is trust. It really is. And without it, you can have a relationship, but you can't build. You can't build without trust. And it's actually very painful to have a loving relationship that you can't build on. And many people are there. Many people go through that. And I think as Christians, we need to understand, and I don't think we do a really good job of understanding trust. Recognize that trust must be earned. Trust takes time. It's impossible to will it. You can't say to somebody, and I don't know about you, but it's kind of a pet peeve of mine when someone says to me, trust me. No. 
I'm not going to trust you because you want me to trust you. I'm going to trust you when you're trustworthy. And I have to actually assess that. We, we've got to go through the process of building trust. And trust is it's like, the, like the backbone of a relationship. It's like your skeleton structure. Everything hangs off of trust. If you don't have trust, you can't build together. And really, the reason we have relationships is we can do more together than we can apart. But you can't do it if you don't have trust. And, and trust is something that, that every one of us needs in our life. And if we don't have trust, people say, well, I can't trust anybody. Well, you have to. You can't go through life. You'll never accomplish what God's called you to do by yourself. I don't believe you can be human alone. We need relationships. And that means we need to trust. And the best way to actually find trustworthy people is like attracts like. It's, it's this magnetic ability. You will attract into your life people like you. You know you don't get what you want. You get what you are. And so start by becoming trustworthy. And the neat thing about when you actually pay the price to trust yourself, it's called confidence. And the whole world sees that. It is so evident. It's a confident person. And, and you, you actually begin to build on yourself and on what you say, and then you can transfer that to others. This is a good example of what trust is. No, I'm not going to trust that. <laughs> Let me go over here. It's something like maybe this. This is trustworthy. Not that much, but a little bit. There. I'm trusting this. I'm leaning on it. That's what trust is. When you lean, you put your, your life, your weight, your strength, leaning on someone else's strength. But now, if I was leaning on that and it collapsed and hit the ground, whose fault would it be? Mine. Because I made the choice to trust something that wasn't trustworthy. And one day, every one of us are going to stand before God, and we're going to give an account for our life, and we can't give the excuse. It was my husband, my mom, my dad, my pastor. No, you actually need to build your life, and you need to recognize trust is so, so important. Now, where we get mixed up in Christianity is we think trust is a function of love. You really love me, don't you? You love me, so you need to trust me. No, 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 no. I really love you, yes, but that doesn't mean I need to trust you. You really love your 10-year-old, but you don't give him the keys to the car. Why? Because you love him enough not to trust him with the keys to the car. See, love is a total different picture. And people think that trust is a function of forgiveness. You've forgiven me, haven't you? Yes. Well, then you've got to trust me. No. The Bible never says you have to trust anybody. You want to trust people and you want to, to learn to trust. Okay, so how does that break down into really making a difference in our life? Well, so often in, in marriage and in relationships, we can hurt the other person. And by doing that, we can break trust. Trust takes a lifetime to build, but a moment to break. And this is one thing that I think is really important for every one of us to recognize. Every one of us in this room, you're one step from stupid. We have 37 years of building this thing and one stupid thing, and you just broke the whole thing down. Take a lifetime to build, but an instant to break. And so recognizing that trust is something that we need in our relationships, we need in our life, and, um, 
if you break it, if you've hurt somebody, what do you do? Now, Helen and I have this television show. It's called Relate with John and Helen right now. And we just answer questions. Uh, it's, it started off as a secular radio show. And that went on to called Pure Sex and Relationships, which was really quite, quite popular. Because uh, in the TV Guide, they only get pure sex. And <laughs> I'm not kidding. People were tuning in looking for a picture show or something. And, and they got you know, grandma and grandpa answering questions. But the interesting thing is they tuned back in again. So, but, you know, we used to get questions all the time like this. I have messed up. I've, I've totally blown it. And my wife does not trust me. Uh, is there any hope? And I said, yes. Okay, yes. The good news is you can build trust back again. The maybe not so good news is it's going to take time. It's going to take time. So what do you do? This is what you do. You go to your wife and say, honey, I've been a total idiot. I know that I have hurt you. I know that I've broken our trust. And I recognize you don't trust me. I wouldn't either if I was you. But if you give me a chance, I'll earn it back again. Now, there's the key. If you give me a chance, I'll earn it back again. The onus of trust is on the trusted not on the trustee, not the one that's trusting, but the one that wants to be trusted. And if you earn it back again, you take down that wall of protection. I don't want to get hurt again, so I can't trust you. Okay, take it down. You don't have to trust me. Just watch. And you can begin to build your relationship, and every relationship is built on trust. And whatever you've done that has hurt that other person, it's a matter of rebuilding that trust again. And just understanding that. Let's get to the last one, though. Yeah, we're going to bring it up. Well, actually, we put this under the heading of have fun. That everybody in their marriage relationship should be having a lot of fun. A marriage that doesn't have a lot of laughter in it, it's really hard for it to last. And I would say that that's one of the components of, of, of the health of our relationship and even our family. We love to have fun together. We laugh a lot and uh, enjoy each other a lot. But I'm just going to, because of time, just highlight one of the things that I think is critical and I believe one of the most important things. And God created it. It's right there in Genesis chapter 2. It says, and the, the husband and the wife were both naked. Naked. <laughs> naked, naked, naked. And neither of them felt any shame. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful picture. We live in a world that is so perverted sexually. We believe with all of our conviction that sex has become the battleground for this generation. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that it is a challenge for us and absolutely critical that we as married couples embrace the beauty of our sexuality. And carry it. One of the things I'm so thankful for is in our home, my parents, they weren't X-rated, but they really liked each other. And I, um, they really liked each other. And my mom chased my dad, and my dad chased my mom, and they both let each other catch them. I think that's a healthy environment to grow up in. Amen. And my children would notice this, and they thought, gee, you're just like Oma and Opa. Good. I want them. Not weird, not eh, but that they actually know that, there is, that you love each other. But husbands and wives, you need to carry that with one another, to have a, and enjoy one another. John made this statement, and I agree with it so much, that every wife needs to become the, the expert 
of her husband's sexuality. And every husband needs, needs to become the expert of his wife's sexuality, not what the world says, but who she is or who he is. That whatever season, and we go through seasons, men not so much, we go through seasons, so as women. John just we says have we one have one season, summer. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. It just gets hot and hotter. So scary from a grandpa, but, um, you know what? God made sex magnificent. Amen. It's actually miraculous. It is actually, it functions as glue in a marriage. And I believe that we need to work hard to come to a place of health in this. And I often like to ask women, and I, since I hear, I, I don't answer, just think about it, but, uh, and men and women, but it's good to ask your, each other this question. Can you honestly say that your gift of sexuality is a good gift that God gave you? Because we have to answer that. Not feel like it's a burden, but to feel like it's a blessing. And I know many of us come from many places of brokenness. Whether it's somebody violated us and took away just that innocence, whether we chose to make really bad choices and have walked in real darkness, you might be trapped in something right now but God has wholeness available for you and I believe that it is something that we need to work towards to invite God into the bedroom because I believe there's something very sacred about our sexuality and God paints it in such a beautiful picture of what happens when a husband and wife come together in the bond of marriage sex belongs in marriage and should be celebrated in marriage and and there's many scriptures that i could share with you i believe heaven celebrates when you're intimate as a couple because i believe it is it it it, it it's this giving of one of ourselves to one another and so it requires vulnerability it requires it requires again what i talked about that emotional closeness it requires what john talked about having trust with one another but I think we need to come back to that place of saying we're going to make it a priority. That it's not just something that, that we, you know, this is what we do on Tuesdays. But it's something that, and good on you, but something that is more than just this is our little ritual. That it is something that there is a really almost a desperate pursuit with a, a love and a passion towards one another. That we make a decision that we will make this a priority. The Bible is very clear about staying close intimately one another so that we do not give the enemy a foothold. And I think so often we've been stolen from in this regard. And I have lots of notes on this and lots of teaching available in this. But I just, I, I know I spoke with women recently and I just said, women, come on. Get healthy in this area of your life. I know you've been stolen from before. Don't let the devil steal anymore. It's like get the poison out and invite God into this and see what God will do. God will do miracles if you allow him to go to work because if God can heal every other area of our life, don't you think he wants to heal that as well? And I think often we hide it. We're ashamed of it. It's this don't touch that. And I believe we need to get to the place and say, okay, God, touch that. I want to be whole there. I don't want to give up what God gave me as a gift and treat it as anything less. And I believe as we do that, it brings such a closeness and a felt intimacy. And it's not even so much about, because we, the sexual relationship is much more of just the physical feeling and it's no coincidence, God made it feel fantastic. Mm -hmm. But he wants it to be physical, he wants it to be emotional, 
and I believe it is spiritual as well, that all of those components coming together. And I believe as we get strong and healthy in this, we, come, we, we do great damage to the purposes that the enemy has to kill, steal, and destroy. We can take it back, and it can start with us in our marriages. So Amen. have fun. I know you're all planning on it tonight, but have fun. <laughs> Husband, husbands and wives, catch hands, and now let's just pray. Go ahead. So, Jesus, we thank you for this moment. And, God, I know there's so many things that still need to be said, and, but, God, I know that you're here. And, God, I just pray that you would put your blessing upon each and every marriage here. God, I, I know that just a smile of heaven is upon this room today as they've positioned themselves here in the house of God on a Friday night to say, God, build my marriage. Mm-hmm. And so, God, I speak blessing and abundance and provision. I speak healing where healing needs to take Mm -hmm. place. Father, I speak your faithfulness and your goodness and your mercy over each and every aspect. Bless them, I pray. Bless their families and bless the future that they're building in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. God bless you.